the Lord is my shepherd. I want for nothing, and he makes me to lie down. And we considered the four things that have to be necessary for a sheep to lie down. They won't lie down and relax in a stressful situation. They need to be fed and free of the fear of hunger. They need to be well tended. They won't lie down if they are tormented with flies and bugs and fleas and ticks and lice and disease. They need to be free of fear of um, obviously predators, everything from snakes to wolves, bears, lions, all the rest of it. And they need to be in a controlled, tranquil environment where the butting order is regulated and controlled by the shepherd. And we considered those things and, and we put them into practical terms with church life. And now it's time to move on. Because he makes me to lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside the still waters. And that's a lovely thought and it it probably brings to your mind a very tranquil setting of maybe a lovely lake or a pond that's still water. And that's not actually what the psalmist has in mind. Um, yes, a lake or a pond is still water particularly when you compare it with a fast-flowing stream or a river, which is running, moving water. And sheep will not drink from fast-flowing water. They can't cope with it. I'm not quite sure why, whether it's just the, the water running up their nose and affecting their breathing or whatever, but they like to drink, if they're going to, from still water. But... As a fisherman, well, I used to be in my younger days, do a lot of fishing, and we talk about sea angling or salt water angling, and we talk about fresh water angling if it's not in the sea. But most of the angling that I've done in rivers and ponds and lakes, it's not salt water but it's a long way from being fresh water. You wouldn't want to stick a cup in it and drink it. You'd, uh, you'd probably not feel too well afterwards. So the point I'm making is there's more to fresh water than just it not being salt water. And it's the same with this still water. Um, there's more going on here than just it isn't a river or a stream. But sheep need water. Uh, I'm reliably informed that a sheep is made up of 70% water and they need a lot of water but not any old water. You see, he leads me beside the still waters and these will be good water, they will be pure water and what is mostly in mind here with this still water is 
It's the early morning dew. And this links it straight away to the green pastures. Sheep, if they have a good shepherd, they will find themselves being roused and organised very early in the morning and being taken out to green pastures that are soaked and drenched with early morning dew. And that is the purest water you can imagine. And sheep in the right environment can go weeks and weeks and weeks without actually drinking water because they get all the fluid nourishment that they need from green pastures that are soaked in early morning dew. And this dew is pure, it's fresh, it's uncontaminated. It is indeed fresh and new every morning, just like all God's blessings and hopefully God's word to us is. It is new every morning. The steadfast love of the Lord never ends, the hymn writer wrote. His blessings are new every morning. And this is what is in mind with this still water. And it ties so beautifully back to the green pastures that are soaked in this lovely, lovely dew. Thirst is a very, very powerful force. And we all thirst. Um, I've not visited the uh, land of Israel, but I'm reliably informed by a lot of people that have that particularly in the very, very hot months, everything is so dry and it's so dusty. And people come away saying, you can see why the Bible so often talks about the need for water, refreshing water and the quenching of thirst. And thirst is a very, very powerful force. It is in us. It is with the sheep. And sheep will wander if they are not properly looked after and if this thirst isn't properly met <coughs> by the shepherd. And the problem is, of course, is that sheep will wander in search of any old water. They won't just wander off in search of pure water. They'll wander off in search of any water. And the first muddy, contaminated puddle that they come to, their noses will be in it, with all the problems that that might very well bring. And to bring it to a practical level for us, we're no different at all. All we like sheep have gone astray and some of the some of the thirsts that we've had over the years and the directions that we go in in order to satisfy and slake that thirst if we're honest with ourselves it probably fills us with horror to think of some of the things that we've done 
to satisfy that thirst. Our Lord said at the beginning of the great Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be filled. And our Lord, of course, provides the answer to it all. If we look in John chapter 7, um, John, is, John is building up this whole idea as he goes through his gospel. He builds up many, many things. And one of the thoughts that he does build up is this thought of hungering and thirsting. We see the thirsting with his discourse with the woman at the well in John. Um, we see it again in chapter 6 of John's Gospel, where he, one of the great I am statements, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Then if we move on to chapter 7, and this is really very, very dramatic in John chapter 7 and verse 37, one of the great revealings that the Lord does. And it's at the Feast of Tabernacles and it's on the last day, we're told. This is verse 37 of John 7. On the last day, that great day of the feast. And the backdrop to this is is that a tradition has grown up around the Feast of Tabernacles and one of the processions that is carried out there is with a golden pitcher down to the Pool of Siloam. And the priests march down with this pitcher and they draw water and they bring it back and it's this water libation ceremony and they pour the water out and the prayers and the cries of the people are that God will indeed provide them with water, with rain for the crops, with water to drink, water for their animals. And that is the backdrop. All this enormous dependence upon water and it's all being played out in this very, very dramatic ceremony. And it is as that is going on that our Lord stands and cries out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, will flow rivers of living water. So this whole Old Testament psalm idea of the dependence upon water is most beautifully fulfilled in Christ. The tragedy, of course, is that so many people seek after and chase after bad water. And I don't just mean the people outside the church. We expect that of them. We, we see people that are chasing to satisfy 
this desire and this thirst that they have in art, music, sport, travel, science, academia, you name it, people are into it. But within the church, within the church there are so many people and they are chasing bad water charismatic experiences all this sensationalism entertainment rather than rather than listening to the word of god being properly preached and expounded um, the health and wealth gospel well never mind my spiritual satisfaction i just want to be fit and i just want to be well and i just want to be healthy and i want more than the bloke next door to me all this is encouraged and it's encouraged in the name of God. It's a terrible, terrible thing. There is so much chasing after bad water. And we see how the Lord puts it. And it is so straightforward and so frank and so non-negotiable. Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 13 for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And that's God's view on all this nonsense that you see going on in so many churches broken cisterns that hold no water and all these people that are going on all these spiritual highs and having these great big spiritual knees ups every sunday when the going gets tough and when things get difficult their faith will be like a broken system they will turn it up to tip some comfort and strength and support out of it and it'll be empty there'll be nothing in it for them they are broken systems that hold no water and compare that with what our lord says to the woman at the well in john chapter 4 whoever drinks of the water in the well will thirst again but whoever drinks of the water that i shall give him will never thirst the water that i shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life that's one side of it chasing after bad water but we also all of us have a responsibility to try and prevent our brothers and sisters in Christ other sheep in the flock from drinking dirty water as much as leading them to pure water they need to be prevented from drinking dirty water and that's not an easy task in a politically correct age is it it really isn't the amount of um, abuse and the amount of criticism the amount of ostracizing that is going on towards Christians because they are a few prepared to stand up and say no that's bad water and we shouldn't be going after it 
the whole of the pro-homosexuality agenda is one huge example of this. There was a time, not that long ago, in living memory for several people here, when it was outlawed. Now, you'll get into more trouble if you just give your opinion that you think it's wrong. It's the most extraordinary thing. But it's, it's a huge agenda with all the transgenderism and all this other nonsense. Doctors lo losing their jobs for stating the obvious. Well, if you're born a boy, you're a boy. If you're born a girl, you're a girl. And the skies are falling in on their heads. But we need to be prepared to stand for what is pure. And we need to be prepared to speak out against what is bad. But he leads us beside still waters, the still pure waters of the dew-soaked green pastures. And when we do wander and go astray, as we are clearly told in Isaiah 53.6 that we do, all like sheep, we go astray, he restores my soul. We read at the beginning of verse 3 of our wonderful little psalm, He restores our soul. This isn't initial salvation that's being talked about. This is ongoing restoration. And it's one of the reasons why I chose Psalm 42 to read alongside this. Why are you cast down? O my soul, in verse 5, O my God, my soul is cast down within me. And again in verse 11, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And it's a very interesting expression, cast down, and it's one that any shepherd will tell you is an expression that is used almost as a technical term for a sheep that has fallen, rolled over, ended on its back and can't get up again. And that's what happens with sheep. A sheep can lie down on its front and it can push itself back up on its front and back legs. But if a sheep goes over on its back with its four legs stuck up in the air, it's a bit like watching a woodlice or something like that that's on its back. It will scramble, it will kick and flail and panic, but it won't be able to get back up again. And in a very short time, it will start to have breathing problems and possibly within three or four hours, it'll be dead. And shepherds have to watch their sheep very, very carefully in case they get cast, as they call it. If a sheep is cast, it's on its back, legs up in the air, and it's completely and utterly helpless. And it's a perfect picture of where we all were before we were saved absolutely totally helpless able to do nothing for ourselves and it's also a perfect picture of where we end up when we sin we can be cast down and we can do nothing to make reparation for ourselves. but we have a god of grace and mercy 
And we are told by John, in his, not in his Gospel, but in his first letter, that when we confess our sin, he is faithful and just, and he forgives us our sin, and he restores us. We cannot restore ourselves back into favour with God. We can repent, of course we do. We repent, we confess our sin, but it's God that actually restores us. Why are you cast down, O my soul? says the psalmist. And there's two main ways that a sheep will get cast. When they sit down or lay down, they like to find themselves a nice comfy little hollow that they can get all nicely snuggled up in and all nice and comfortable. And if you lay in a hollow, there's a very great danger that you're going to roll over, that you're going to tip and you're going to roll over. And if a sheep rolls over in that hollow, once he's on his back, that's the end of it, unless the shepherd restores him. The dangers of getting too comfortable. And it's something that we all need to be aware of. You could go to a church with a congregation of five or six hundred people, and you could go there week after week, and spiritually speaking, you could put your feet up, you could make yourself comfortable, never do anything, never be asked to do anything, never offer to do anything, and nobody will notice. And your spiritual growth will be practically non-existent. It's very easy to get lost in a crowd, and it's very easy to get into this mentality of going to church and hanging your mind up on the peg at the door along with your coat and just letting the minister do all your thinking for you. Very easy to get very comfortable. And there's plenty of biblical examples of it. We could think about the, the barn owner. Oh, well, look at this. I've got this great big barn and it's full to overflowing. Now, what shall I do? Shall I give up some of my time now and some of my goods and maybe give it to all the poor or the starving? No, I'll build some bigger barns so that I can have even more and I can be even more comfortable. And what does the Lord say to that man? They're chilling words. You fool. This very day your soul is required of you. And what good are all those barns full of stuff to him then? None at all. We could look at the rich young ruler. What good thing must I do to be saved? And our Lord looks at him and he sees through him like he's a sheet of glass. He reads him like a book. And the challenge is, well, keep the law. And there's his opportunity to say, I've tried that and I can't do that. I need something else. I need grace and I need mercy. And what does he say? Oh, done all that since I was a child. Well, whoopee-doo. And our Lord reads him like a book. Well, do this one thing then. Liquidate all your assets and give them to the poor. And then come and follow me. Get out of that comfortable little hollow that you've cast yourself in. And he goes away. He goes away sad. The dangers of getting too comfortable. 
And the other thing that will cause a sheep to become cast, the other main thing, is too much wool or fleece. Because the fleece on a sheep grows long, it gets very thick, and when it gets loaded with mud and well and moisture and, and all the rest of it, it gets very, very heavy and it will have a constant drag on the sheep. And if it goes down, it's not likely to get up again. And wool in scripture often has this negative connotation of the old life. Hence the rule that no high priest could ever wear wool in the Holy of Holies. An absolute no-no. And there's one very simple remedy to a sheep that has too much wool or fleece. It needs shearing. And we all, from time to time, need shearing. We're all loaded down with too much of the world's troubles and the world's problems, and we need shearing. I was 30 years old before I got converted, maybe 31, um, and I can absolutely promise you I needed an enormous amount of shearing. I, I really did need scalping. I really, really did. The old man is still there, and the battle with him goes on and on and on. And we do well to be aware of it. Uh, Paul says to the Corinthians, and it's, it's one of these little statements that is made, this is in Corinthians 10 and verse 11, and he's talking about Old Testament examples, and he says, all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the end of the ages has come. In other words, all these things are written that we might learn from them. Everything. There's so much in here, but I don't understand. There's a lot in here that no matter who I speak to, they don't really understand it. In fact, I think if ever, well, the advice I would give to anybody is if you meet a Christian who says that they understand absolutely everything, get as far away from them as possible because it's quite simply not true. But there's so much that we'll never fully understand. And for two reasons, really, our spiritual dimness. And also there are things that the Spirit of God still hasn't chosen to reveal and possibly a mixture of both in some cases. But these things are written that we should learn from them. And Paul then goes on to say, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. We must all be prepared. I mean, how often do you hear a sermon on judgment and the preacher says, Let's forget all about God's judgment for a minute. Let's forget all about the great white throne judgment and what's going to happen at the end. Let's talk about judging ourselves. You don't often hear it talked about, do you? But we're, we're all called to do it. 
and we're told that if we did judge ourselves and inspect ourselves on a regular basis and very, very thoroughly, we'll be the better for it. And we won't run into some of the troubles that we do run into. We can so easily become cast down. And the wonderful thing is, again, as we did at the beginning, just use your imagination a little bit and imagine our well-tended sheep looking through the fence at a poor, ragged, neglected sheep on the other side of the fence. And our sheep is saying about his shepherd, he restores my soul. If I'm cast down, he'll be keeping an eye open for me and he'll come and he'll get me back on my feet again, which is probably more than that other poor sheep will get from his hireling shepherd. But we have the good shepherd. And no matter how far and how heavy the fall is, we know that our Lord will restore us. We, we looked at this and had this thought to finish last time, but it's a good one to go back to. Right at the end of John's Gospel with Christ and Peter. I mean, look at that for a restoration. Peter really was cast down. Peter really did go over flat on his back and he would not have been able to do anything for himself. In fact, he's more or less made up his mind that he can't. That's why he's gone fishing again. This statement, I'm going fishing, it has the idea with it of, I'm going back to fishing. It's all finished for me. I'm going back to my old way of life. I'm going back to fishing. But of course, our Lord has other ideas and other plans for Peter. He's not going back fishing. Not going back fishing at all. Which is why he says to him, Peter, don't you love me more than all this? All these boats and all these nets and all the pleasure from getting the big catch of fish. Don't you love me more than all this? Well, of course I do, Lord. Of course I love you. And he is tenderly restored and brought back into fellowship. And he really has fallen. And the Lord has let him fall to teach him a lesson. I mean, he really does let him fall. He lets him bounce, doesn't he? But Peter is restored. And we can be sure that we will. We won't walk a perfect walk. We never will. But we have that wonderful promise that when we sin, we have one who is faithful and just and true. And when we confess our sin, he forgives us our sin. He does indeed restore our soul. And may this be a real blessing and a comfort and an encouragement to us as we as we tread that sometimes very very difficult path that we walk he restores our soul